It is time to tune up the band and make them humble. For it is another episode of the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. I am Sam, alongside Dan and Reardon, as we continue our journey for the wacky world of professional wrestling. Chaps, hello there. How are you doing? You know, that wasn't bad, man. I'm actually impressed. <laughs> I was going to go was... for the full-on Iron Sheik loses it kind of thing. You, you, you really, you really got, you got the phlegm right and everything, like... Well played, my dude. I can't have real talk. Maybe I've just been watching too many Iron Sheik like shoot interviews and appearances on the Howard Stern show that I finally yeah, right. got it down. There's, 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 there's arguably never enough Iron Sheik Arguably, straight up there isn't. Straight up there is not. Oh, I still think one of my funniest like clips I've ever seen is Iron Sheik going, have a good day and go fuck yourself. <laughs> and fuck the whole Kogan. <laughs> incredible <laughs> all right uh, 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 look we're gonna uh, at that point we'll probably end up doing a whole iron sheik retrospective so i'm gonna bring I it mean, back we in should, you know? i mean we really should we really should <laughs> definitely absolutely um but i'll bring it myself i'll rein myself back in chaps it's mm-hmm. been a week one heck of mm-hmm. a week for all involved oh. outside of wrestling mm-hmm. but from something that ended up being well, I was kind of really upset that it was like from being a very nothing Monday, we finally got a lot of newsworthy stuff coming out in wrestling and all from one company. So that says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that this week was able to redeem itself. Anyway, we give you this podcast. Thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts and forever pending. You know platforms. what? You know what, guys? You know what we at the Sweet Chinwag podcast make humble? Pending. Because we are always doing it. I thought you were going to say, we put the we put pending in a camel clutch. Oh, oh, I oh. put we... them in the camel clutch and make him humble. Oh, we definitely make them humble. It's like... Humble. 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 Okay, stop. Stop it. All of you stop. All right. If you don't know why we're doing the Iron Sheik, this episode for this week, before we get on to talking about the concept of the foreign heel, (laughs) it is time to visit Dan for this week's wrestling news. Dun 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 dun. Wrestling news. <laughs> I mean, let's get into the big bit, right? It's Keith Lee. We all love him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's big. He's big. He's strong, and he looks like uh, the closest the version of a human, accurate human representation to a bear. Um, I'm just gonna say an accurate version of Mister Incredible when you look at him. Also yes. true. <laughs> uh, obviously, now signed with AEW, and yeah. also now married to me, which is. Really, really nice. The pictures are really, really nice. Congratulations to you, Keith Lee. Mm-hmm. He's had a good two weeks. He's had a very good two weeks. <laughs> oh, man, come on. I mean, reception alone uh, from mm-hmm. from the audience involved and everyone there. Oh, man. It's like, ain't it, ain't it funny how you can redeem yourself or kind of redeem or go back to who you are and how easy it is to go back to who you are when you go to another company immediately, almost immediately. <laughs> I mean, it, it it's that thing of, I mean, it, basically the thing is, 
With Keith Lee, it's pretty simple. And the thing is, just let him be Keith Lee. Yes. Yeah. Like, it's really not much more complicated than that. It's literally just, hey, here's this here's this really big guy who just has a bunch of natural charisma. Just let him walk out there and just do his stuff. Yep. Um, for me, it was kind of like, it's a weird that this, like, as much as I love Keith Lee, this had sl a tiny, weirdly less of an impact because I was just kind of like, ah, yes, they've made the obvious move. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that, that's the thing. I know, like, I mean, also my problem with it was that, like, Tony was doing the whole, like, we have a big announcement. Mm. And I'm just like, mm. you don't need to keep doing it. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Like just, just let it, just let it be what it is. Just, just yeah. let things happen. Yeah, which is like it's a nitpick, and and it's bound to like, and it's bound to like if if it's uh, I'm not impressed because the company is just being consistently relatively competent. Like that ain't yeah. a bad thing. No, that's not at all. I mean, well, much of the chagrin of Davy Meltman, but I'm not going to even get into Meltzer's comments, which is bizarre to say the very yeah, least. Yeah, but, but again, oh, like, what did you say? we have evolved beyond the need for Meltman. So Meltzer's <laughs> gone on record for saying that he's not impressed by Keith Lee being an AEW, despite the fact in NXT, Keith Lee was, or Mel yeah, that was one of Meltzer's favourites. So that's... what changed? Uh, that's all I want to know. What yeah, change in those I don't know, years? but like honestly, like he's just a dude. Yeah, it <laughs> doesn't is. matter. Yeah, it, it, no, he's just a guy. I want to make we make that. Can we make that abundantly clear, wrestling fans? Whether you're casual or hardcore, the opinions of one man do not matter. It don't take I, them I as mean, gospel. Yeah. You it, don't it, have it, to take it, them it, as gospel. It, it's a thing I've said before because I, in fact, just a couple, just not long ago, I had this thing with some of my friends. He's a guy that likes a particular style, hmm. right? So, like, it's no surprise that when people do that, like, people are going to be like, oh, wow, he really liked this. I'm like, yeah, because it's the kind of thing he would like. Exactly. Just, like, he's he's a guy that does, that, like, writes about it. What he says isn't gospel. Also, he's fucking ginormous. <laughs> A big boy. Yeah. I never knew Dave Meltzer was that big, but he's fucking huge. But no, back on to Keith Lee. Um, you couldn't have done a more perfectly booked debut match. Um, Isaiah uh, Cassidy got thrown here, there, and everywhere across yeah. the ring. Also, one little moment I really liked in the match is when he got kicked, is when Keith Lee got kicked in the, into the head. Uh, and fell yeah. out of the apron. He, you could hear him say, "What the hell was that?" As <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to shake off the cobwebs. Again, just that—that's the Keith Lee we all knew and love. And granted, this is Keith Lee. Of course, he's just come off of battling at uh, battling COVID, so he's going to definitely yeah. be a little bit slower than usual. Um, yeah, like we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna immediately see all the same stuff that we're like you know used to with Keith Lee, but also he's getting older. Exactly. And the thing is, though, we've always known he's a really versatile guy. So if he starts if he starts working towards kind of more you know 
old school big man stuff, fine. Yeah. Like the dude. I can't lie. Like... Seeing see if if um if Keith Lee is there and decides he wants to fucking goozle someone, like starts bombing choke slams, hell yeah, I want to see it. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be great. And also, you know, you know, he's a married man. He gotta he gotta keep himself like. In tip top position, yeah. tip top, you know, shape now. It's like, so nah, if, I mean, I want to see bit. him pull off a boot sort, but I don't want to see him pull it off every week. So if Keith's confident enough to try and keep doing that sort of stuff, I say, yeah, yeah I'm all more for it for doing that. But Keith, it's a long process, I imagine, from it now. I mean, especially after recovering from COVID. If it takes time, it takes time. I want to yeah, see that's, it that's, again. That's the thing. Is he can pull off one more Spanish fly before his time's done? That I'm happy with that. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's all it needs. Just oh, like... and, and on top of that, Jay White making an appearance yeah. in a double. I mean, I don't know. I don't know exactly how I feel about it. Obviously, this is the thing of I really, really like Jay White. Mm -hmm. Same. <laughs> I'm hoping that the move away from New Japan will do him some good. I hope so. Just because of like. You know, New Japan's fucking insistence on the, the like the forty-minute epic. <laughs> that that is true. Because what is it? It's like because uh, his match with Ibushi is like the uh, the, the longest Korakuen main event. One, yeah, one of the longest Korakuen longest, main events. Yeah. What, well, whatever, whatever stadium it was, and I'm like, that match did not need to be that long. Yeah. <laughs> So I mean, hopefully, hopefully it'll do him some. Uh, it'll do him some good. Hey, look if it, look if it goes this way, all right. If it's if it's looking, if it's painting a very similar picture to what uh to 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 the end of of Bullet Club's time. So if this means we can get Abushi in AEW, I mean, I'm not gonna complain if Kota Abushi ends up being in AEW. You know, if there's some if there's something like that, I mean, to be fair, I'd happy to just see Jay White go toe to toe with some some really cool people. Really, I mean that's. If they're gonna That's have the most of it for me. I mean I mean I like real talk, like him and Trent are probably gonna have a really good match. Yeah. If that's yeah, gonna they be will. the first match, that's I, I I really look forward to seeing that. Um oh man, just look I mean J Y V Moxley. J White Mox is gonna be tremendous. <laughs> this is a this is a further one, but like as an idea. J White versus MJF. Yeah. What are we thinking to that? I'd like to see that. I'd really like I to think, see that match. I think I think that could be good. I think that could be good. So yeah, it's, it was. I mean, it was a really, really good dynamite actually as well. We had Jade Cargill finally defending the TBS title on TBS against yep. AQA, which by the way, AQA has one of the most like one of the cleanest shooting star presses <laughs> to going today. Yeah, she's on she's on that Matt Side out shit. <laughs> <laughs> she has an amazing shooting star. It was a it was a terrific match. And when you hear that Jade has actually been training with Brian Danielson to really kind of sharpen up her in ring um repertoire. Who else would you pick? Who else would you pick? Yeah. She's doing really well apart from all from from what we heard She's absolutely loving working with Brian, and Brian is absolutely having the time of a uh, time of his life um, working with Jade. So it's like, it's good. That uh, it's great to hear that. Also, uh, hearing from Rampage, 
We're getting Lee Moriarty versus Brian Danielson on Dynamite next week. Dog, I am Ooh. so fucking happy. Let's Ooh. fucking go. <laughs> like, it, like the thing is, it it really feels like they're setting in the next gen already. Yeah. Mm. With this storyline, absolutely. I'm oh, I am so so hyped for this match. Like you wouldn't believe. Oh, good news as well. Eddie Kingston is back. He's ready to. He he's, is. He's back and ready to uh, get back into AEW. He's back and he's angrier than already before. That's <laughs> impossible. Also, may I just shout? Oh, out it to, is. Shout <laughs> to Santana and Ortiz for absolutely punking out Chris Jericho. <laughs> it yeah, they, I mean the thing. The Santana and Ortiz have so over uh, outgrown the inner circle stuff. Yes. I agree massively. I mean, it already, in my opinion, it already run its course by like you know, a year before the start. Of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't mind if they take the uh, like the unit model, mm-hmm. but like, you know, it, it it ran its course, breaking the fourth wall as well. Yeah, <laughs> looking it dead into the camera as well during Chris like waffling and just go look look at this guy <laughs> what is this guy <laughs> i was like you know what i love that i could appreciate yeah. that <laughs> we like a good bit of self-awareness absolutely if this means that if this is if this is leading up to homicide coming in on a more permanent basis i ain't gonna say no to that <laughs> are we gonna get like a fucking eighth lax reunion <laughs> As long as we get CM Punk yet again doing doing his impression of Hobbs, Lariat, Lariat, Lariat. Lariat. Like, if we fucking get LAX again, I mean, oh, oh, K Dog, come on, come back for a couple more appearances <laughs> at AEW. Oh, that I, I I would live for that. I absolutely would be like live for that. the it'd be like the eighth promotion they've appeared in. Yeah. <laughs> so a bloody good week for AEW, if you ask me. Yeah, a strong week for them, and leading up to Revolution, of course. Keith Lee is in the face of the Revolution ladder match, of course. Now with that victory, and so, uh, and so is Wardlow. <laughs> yeah, so get some real big boy stuff. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing her seeing it. I had one thing, uh, one person say, "Why don't you just give the TNT title to Keith Lee?" Like he should be, he is a shoe in for the TNT. I agree, actually. And then have a have a have a have a program with Miro. Ooh. I mean, yeah. Would you like to see big meaty men slapping meat reared? Always. <laughs> I couldn't figure two more perfect people than that. Although that being said, I'm very much one of of the of the mindset of Miro should be in the main event. But yeah, he should be. Me. <laughs> no, no, he he should be. Because to be fair, I can't lie. Uh, Hangman versus Miro program kind of sounds like it would bang. It absolutely would, and I'm really glad that Hangman and Lance Archer kind of redeemed themselves with a with a terrific main event. Which, by the way, I'm I I I wouldn't be surprised if if Hangman is has lost all of his blood now. Yeah, he's on he's on that he's on that Eddie JBL pack. <laughs> he, he really is channeling uh Terry Funk, isn't he? Like, he is really channeling Terry Funk with his title reign. See? It's them heavy bleeding cowboys. 
<laughs> no, I'm glad to know that people kind of finally warmed up to it because there there was a there, I, there was a worry, and I think like and then and, again and though, I will so. say one I will say one thing about that because I'm so glad it reminds people how fucking good Lance Archer is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's a terrific big man. It always has been a terrific big man. Yes, maybe even as Vance Archer, but then again, they didn't. The WWE didn't know what they were doing with him. The thing is, though, is I'm there, and I'm like, he spent like 15 years doing like tag wrestling, and I'm like, yeah, he got wasted. <laughs> he really did. Who in their right mind in the WWE thought the taggy pairing him with Shad Gaspard would have been a good idea? I can think of one man. Nah, Pritchard. It sounds, it sounds like Vince McVan. Well, oh yeah, Vince as well, because Pritchard wouldn't have been there at that time. Uh, remember the halcyon days of Bruce Pritchard not fucking things up? Anyway, uh, <laughs> we did get something, we did get, of course, leading up. I guess we talk about SmackDown a little bit. We've got Goldberg versus Roman yeah. at Elimination Chamber. Goldberg oh. being Goldberg. Okay. You yeah. Know, it's, it, look, it's standard Goldberg fair. He appears, he goes title match, and then they're like, okay, yeah, sure. Because he just... Uh, is he having the title match in Saudi? Yes. Okay, I expect nothing less. <laughs> Are they just trying to like? Is he him? is he he free for free on Saudi shows at this point? I believe so. That is okay. Okay. <laughs> the beautiful city of Jeddah is is, I... is his good luck talisman. Apparently. Fucking... All right, well, so we'll keep, we'll stay on standby for fucking cursed material. Yes. <laughs> and when we review we the greatest we Royal Rumble, brace... no, 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 no. No, we're not, but nah. we will, however, brace for impact. <laughs> God, we will. Well, look, we know kind of like the likely situation of that one. There is no way, even in the beautiful city of Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, that they're going to drop, that Roman's dropping the title. I can't imagine they would, but also, like... I mean, we had Goldberg Fiend, so... Yes, we did. Like... We did. Oh, Christ. If there's one thing I've been taught, it's to have no expectations so that <laughs> they can only improve. It's also good to know that... Uh, well, good and also a bit upsetting to know that uh, people are, and rightly so, are pissed off for WWE's treatment of Big E. People in the back, crew oh, yeah. and wrestlers oh. are incredibly oh, I mean, pissed this, off. This, this story's been running it's... like this story's been running for like three months now. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, people are still very, very pissed. Like, All right, so you took your WWE champion, made him drop the title in day one, and now you just put him back on SmackDown teaming with Kofi. Yes. What's the point? There is none. There is none. No you bastards. That's all I'm saying, right? It got me, like, to see that happen in such quick time, I'm saying it now, you bastards. <laughs> you bastards, you, WWE. You better believe in hell because you're living in it right now. <laughs> people who book Big E like that and people who talk in the theatre, there's a special place in hell for all of you. <laughs> Any more news that we are aware of in the wrestling world? <laughs> Not really. Like, <laughs> I mean, there were there were like lots of uh, there were like lots of little bits, mm. kind of going around here and there. Uh, 
NXT was, you know, uh, no, not the, not the best. Mm. I mean, I, I only caught little bits of it, but apparently, like, the longest match was, like, seven minutes. <laughs> um, the, uh, the Creed Brothers of Diamond Mine are now in the Dusty Cup final. Yay. One day, something good will come to GYV. I don't know how that will happen, but I, somehow it will. I, I, I'm still hoping. I'm, 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 I'm praying, actually. There's a part uh, of in his own words, Malcolm Bivens became the first person to successfully millie rock in front of the Dusty Cup uh, trophy. <laughs> which, in, which personally for me, though, implies that someone tried to do it before and was unsuccessful. So, like, take that as what you want. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, uh, and then, and then also over in Japan, uh, Maki Ito is now international princess champion in TJPW, which should about bloody time and all about bloody time. Also, Kano and Goshiyazaki had a belter of a match as well. <laughs> Dog the the fucking chop, <laughs> the fucking chop. My uh, my sta- my standard for whether or not I enjoy Noah anymore is if I see someone do a chop and go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It, it's the closest I can. It's the closest sound representation I can get to that one GIF of Sully, where it zooms in and goes red. Mm. <laughs> See, at this point, I, at this point, I think we all watch chop videos, like how we watch the hydraulic press channel. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm Shut just up, there, and I, I just want to hear. I just want to hear the. F- fattest slap <laughs> we will deal with it shout out to the hydraulic press channel you are disgustingly therapeutic yes <laughs> it's like we, we all have that like one piece of content which is just really really weird but like it's weirdly therapeutic for us mm-hmm. mm. yeah no i i, I agree <laughs> Oh man, so it's been oh man, it's just been nice to have a week where I last week didn't feel all that great and I wasn't really looking forward to talking about the news, mostly because again, nothing had really happened. But to go to this yeah. week where a real lot of good positive stuff has happened, it's nice. It's nice to have one of those it's, weeks. It's good, you know, you're there and you're like, oh wow, I have stuff to look forward to. And of course I know the complaint is, well, the AEW are bloating their roster now. Um <clears throat> I mean like it it it's it's a valid it is very valid. Like it like it it is a valid complaint. And obviously there there will come a point where it where it breaks. Uh-huh. But like you know, you kind of got to you've got to look at it with that thing of um Yeah, when when they go, I don't think it's going to be as much of a. You know, I don't think it's going to present much of an issue. Yeah, they're still going to have like they're not going to have to go out and like redo circuits of the indies. They'll still have bookings going on. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like they will, they'll you know they'll inevitably come a thing about like, you know, what are they doing with their roster and things like that. Mm. But I think with the way they position themselves and how they positioned everything, I don't think it's going to kind of come with the same issue. You know, when people are working on dark week after week, I don't think it presents much of an issue as, 
you know, being on main event. Yes. Because they're, they're positioned differently. I agree. I agree. Well, one thing I will say as well is um, debuts as, as big as, and you know, big announcements, I really hope that that starts becoming a more prevalent thing to the women's division. Because there are a lot yeah, of people, I mean, out, there I mean, are a lot of people yeah. out there that they could sign, and it'd make just as much buzz as I'd say. I Keith think, Lee I think in. the thing, I think the thing with the women's division, obviously, a not enough attention has been given to it, just mm-hmm. in general. Um, but I think another thing about it um, is just that they really need to start. They both need to start really settling stuff in mm-hmm. and moving off the one-track mindset. Yeah. You know they've got they've got one track for Brit, who I'll be honest, they, they need to start finding something for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got one track with Jade. Yeah, again, they need to find something to to move off it. Uh, and then I really think they they're gonna have to they're gonna have to find some kind of way of you know moving beyond the Joshi sphere. Yeah. Because I think they're still set in that thing of like getting lots of the Joshi talent in, and that's fine. But like we haven't we haven't been able to have that, mm-hmm. and so you know rather than having to just wait on things like that for special things to be happening, let's try and push something a little bit more. You know, yeah. Like you know, if I'm if I'm them, and 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 she's open, she's she's obviously open to it. I absolutely be looking at bringing in Alice in Danger. As a on the producing side, yeah. I mean, you know, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be looking at setting something up with like Shimmer how to many, really like start nailing stuff down. How in the blue blazes have AEW not tried or brought in Nixon, Newell, and Tony Storm? Yeah, it's it's beyond me. Well, why that I mean, that, that the that's the thing because it, it may just be that they both want to spend more time back in the UK or. Very doing true. stuff and doing and doing stuff in in other scenes. Mm. The the real thing that I would be saying is they they need to they obviously need to nail down the production side. Yeah, and really start getting really start getting that going, mm-hmm. and then setting some new directions. Agreed. Agreed. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah. <laughs> that's the hope anyway but um no i guess is there anything else that you kind of want to go over dan in terms no, of news or is that i everything? think i think i'm done lovely lovely stuff okay so <laughs> it is time to go over and visit reardon for this week's recommendation corner reardon what do you have for us this week ah yes guys how do you feel about libraries a dying, a dying art, a dying place that I um, really wish wasn't dying. I, I really wish you hadn't gone that way, route. But <laughs> well, I, see, here's what what I was literally just about to say was um, there is a, there is a thing that I can that I can say about them, which has been my general thing about libraries recently. But I will not say that. <laughs> All right. Well. Guys, there is a podcast. I'm not sure if I've mentioned it before, which is kind of shocking as it's my favorite podcast. Uh, Behind the Bastards. Behind the Bastards <laughs> is a show, a podcast, talking about the worst people in all of history. 
just the real worst. They talk about everyone from dictators, Nazis, obviously Nazis pop up a lot. But the my favorite ones are the ones that talk about very specific things that you wouldn't expect to have been made or done or instigated by an absolutely terrible human being. But when you look into them, it's unbelievable. And one of the episodes this week, they do, they tend to do two a week, was about Melvin Dewey of the Dewey system. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I know, right? You wouldn't think, you wouldn't think that he was, we would count as a bastard. But when you listen to this podcast, your draw, your jaw will drop. I'm, I, I'm not even going to spoil it. Hmm. But uh, the the name of the episode is the man who pioneered libraries and sexual harassment. Oh no! <laughs> okay, well that is a title. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, it, that is and, a spicy meatball of a title. And, <laughs> and it goes into it, and honest to God, I was listening to this like utterly utterly like flabbergasted so they are on all all platforms they also penned but i tend to use listen to them on google podcast so behind the bastards the melvin dewey episode this week oh. it is probably one of the best episodes they've ever done interesting interesting actually i do have a recommendation because uh, i we were talking off of off recording that i did think of one but i couldn't remember it but now i remember it yes ladies and gentlemen if you do know of the youtuber sea dog va yes he recently yeah. released his latest video was uh i tried becoming a pro japanese wrestler where he went in the ring with chris brooks and konosuke takeshita and, and trained to be a wrestler <laughs> Never in my wildest imagination would I have thought that my kind of like love for anime YouTubers and professional wrestling would hit and collide so it hard is, as they did. It is the natural way. As they did with that video. Props to Connor though. He took bumps and chops from Takashita. <laughs> Although you could hear Chris Brooks in the background telling Connor, uh, Takeshita to go, go harder, go harder, do it harder. <laughs> no, that is it's 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 a chunky old uh, video at forty minutes, but it's actually well worth oh, watching worth all it. of it's it. It's worth it because it is so funny. So that is my recommendation as well. Uh, my recommendation for this week is uh, Max Headroom, the most the most misunderstood joke on TV. <laughs> uh, where man it is i mean basically the essence of it is uh americans struggle to understand criticisms of capitalism and the popular entertainment industry yeah that makes sense well, it's like it's like it's like the basic idea of it but like well, uh, a lot a lot more of it is kind of a like a 30 or so minute treatise on how good the character is and how many people have failed to actually understand what the character is supposed to do well i'm personally very glad that americans and the people and the world in general failing to understand understand satire has never happened again in our lifetimes i know it's crazy isn't it 
<laughs> and with that, <laughs> it is time to move on to the six degrees of terror. I thought that was good, you know, with a good, you know, sarcastic Absolutely. segue. <laughs> it is time. Yeah, for the six degrees of Jarrett, Dan, we got quite a number of suggestions for our second yeah, week. Yeah, so we got we one. got four this week because <laughs> you know people people love this segment. Did you manage to get Did you manage to get them all to Jarrett though? That is the question. I did, Ooh. and all under six. Nice. All right, so Dan, the so, floor is yours. To start off from the lovely guys over at Stranger Rings, they gave me. Daniel Garcia, based. Okay. Uh, a culture choice. <laughs> For Daniel Garcia, I was able to link him to Christopher Daniels Ooh. through his match with him at Defy. Yep. Uh, I believe November last year. Mm-hmm. Good match. Uh, and obviously, Christopher Daniels links to Jeff Jarrett through like a whole bunch of matches. So I just chose NWA TNA edition number 64. <laughs> a wild slap nuts appears. So I think that was back in like 2004. <laughs> that would have been yeah, around four. that time. Yep. <laughs> uh, so Daniel Garcia has a Jarrett number of two. Ding, ding, ding. Uh Next, I was given by uh, lovely Ted Hillbilly Hill on Twitter. Uh, Pez Watley. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Who presented a, ni- a nice little challenge. Uh, but we ended up in a, in a quite nice, easy situation, which is that uh, Pez Watley, later on in his career, had a match, uh, I believe it was a tag team match, against Arn Anderson. Mm-hmm. On WCW Saturday night, <laughs> uh, and obviously Arn Anderson has like twelve matches with Jeff Jarrett at some point. <laughs> so also giving him a Jarrett number of two. Now that is a name I didn't think I'd hear. Old school NWA Mid America wrestler Piers Watley. <laughs> now this is the beefy boy. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, at follow trawler. Um, who are great. They follow um, a bunch of teams around the uh, Liverpool area, non-league. Gave me Yohei from Pro Wrestling Noah. Okay. Now, this presented a situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I had to find my way around it, and I'm, I'm sure there's probably a way to shorten this down, and I've probably missed a match or something. Mm. So, I went with Yohei to Tajiri mm. through their match at Wrestling New Classic in 2013. Mm. I went from Tajiri to the Great Muta. Of course. Of course. Uh, All Japan 2006. I went from the Great Muta... Now, I'm just going to say this on Cage Match, right? The Great Muta has 2,905 matches listed. Jesus Christ. He is a journeyman and a half, but also a world champion, so that does kind of make him a journeyman. It makes him a veteran. Again, I probably missed something down there, and I'm going to go over a clarification at the end of this. (laughs) Uh, I went from him uh, to the first WCW name I saw, which was Alex Wright. Oh, Alex Wright. (laughs) And then from Alex Wright 
to Jeff Jarrett. That is giving uh, us a Jarrett number of four. That is, which uh, is the highest so far. The highest so far. Mm. That is one way to go around it. Clarification time, then, Dan. Or was the was the clarification? So, clarification oh. time. Mm-hmm. While going through Pez Watley's matches, I found from a, a span of three matches in, I believe, USWA. Oh. Where Pez Watley and Jeff Jarrett were a tag team. <laughs> no way. Uh, and they had three matches against a team called the Moon Dogs. The what? The Moon Dogs. Dogs that are on the moon. I see. So, <laughs> so this set up my clarification because in the Yohei one, there is a link between the Great Muta and Jeff Jarrett. Hmm. But it's from a match where Jeff Jarrett teamed with the Dark Carnival <laughs> on on an episode on an edition of Nitro. Ah, yes, the ICP and the Cho Cho Chosen One. <laughs> so this is what spawned this clarification about whether or not they're appearing in a tag team with Jeff Jarrett counts, and. The ruling I am using. Feel free to use your own one. Again, this is what this is not. Just to clarify, also for people, this is not like a challenge. This is just a thought experiment. Mm. <laughs> this is about showing how weirdly interconnected wrestling is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is this is not about like, oh, I and please go ahead, try and find faster ways. I do not have the time or the brain power for it. <laughs> <laughs> but. Yeah, Yohei has a has a Jarrett number of four. If you can improve on that, please let us know. There's probably something I missed in the Great Boot is two thousand nine hundred and five matches. <laughs> uh, the last one was Buddy Rogers. Uh, the Nature Boy. Sounds like uh, an easy one. Well, it is a it's a very easy one, and you want to know why? Why? Because there was a match in 1979 called the Battle of the Nature Boys <laughs> between Buddy Rogers and Ric Flair. <laughs> okay. And again, Ric Flair has about 30 matches listed with Jeff Jarrett in some capacity. There you go. So I went with his match from WCW Monday Nitro Edition number 96. Giving uh, Buddy Rogers a Jaren number of two. Two. We're getting two and two, four is the highest, but we're getting two, and that uh, we're getting two quite a lot. Which also, which just lets everybody know that how interconnected to professional wrestling history Jeff Jarrett really is. It's what it's what I mean. <laughs> like, so that was that was that is tremendous. The fact we even got Yohei as well. <laughs> yeah, it it took a while, but I got there. <laughs> So, more suggestions, you at us on uh, Twitter yeah, at SweetShidWag. Always more suggestions for people that you want to see. Um, and again, as I've said, technically, uh, you know, women wrestlers are also valid options. Yes. <laughs> Although not in all cases, but like theoretically. <laughs> oh, all right. With that, it is time to get on our main portion of this episode the foreign heel the concepts the little bit of the history and what 
we think of, of the Foreign Hill as a thing in today's world of professional wrestling. Are you excited? Are you ready, chaps, to go down a road, I guess, less travelled for most podcasts? Yeah, <laughs> probably for a good reason. <laughs> well, we're here now, so we might as well go down the road. All righty then. As we all know, chaps, the, the concept of the heel has been around professional wrestling since the dawn of its inception, from the days in the circus to the big glitz and glamour of the big arena shows. And with that, of course, has always been the big, big concept of the foreign hill, which took a lot more prominence, especially during the late 1950s. Now, would you be surprised at all that the first incarnations and concepts of the foreign hill came from American fans aggressively booing Japanese wrestlers? Like, I'd expect nothing less. You know what? I'm. I'm. The only thing I'm surprised about is that it's the Japanese, very specifically. <laughs> That's the only thing I'm surprised about. So one of the very earliest uh, recorded foreign hills was a man named Tojo Yamamoto, born in Hawaii, although ethnically he was, you know, Japanese. Around this, around that time, he was he would wrestle around the southern states of America. And, of course, was incredibly booed purely because of his identity and yep. look. Now, one very famous incident in Yamamoto's career happened in Alabama, where Yamamoto spoke in a very deliberate broken English, at first apologising for the bombing of Pearl Harbor, but then saying that he wished the Japanese had bombed Alabama instead. <laughs> <laughs> Does, does this count as wrestling heritage? I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. Although, uh, that well, means, uh, although that being said, the balls in Yamamoto to do that in Alabama of all I places mean, yeah. as well. <laughs> I mean, wait, so what, what, what kind of time period are we in again? Yeah, what year was this? 90, we're talking about early 60s at this time. Okay. <laughs> I got really worried we were in the 50s here. Yeah, that's what I was like. When, when, when did he say this? <laughs> <laughs> oh man of course we're around this time as well one of the ver the very first foreign hills as well and probably one of the most infamous foreign hills was Te ed farhat but we better know him as the sheik yeah the, man, yeah. the, 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 the crazed hardcore wrestler from syria who would attack his opponents with fireballs, sharpened pencils to the head, even though he would sometimes stab him his own head with those pencils and then before stabbing uh, these opponents with them. Because that's just how he be. Health code violations didn't exist then. Of course, as as everyone knows, a Muslim man from Syria is the is the ultimate heel in America, despite the fact that Ed Farhat was uh was Christian and born in Michigan. Well, wow. wow, Miss Michigan, God, okay, okay. <laughs> like, I mean, if it were, and of course, as everyone knows, if it weren't for the Sheik, he wouldn't given he wouldn't given us the one-two punch combo of Sabu and Rob Van Dam. I mean, again, it it's like it's crazy to think though that just that 
progressed so far to just becoming a default thing in wrestling. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. In the 70s, of course, and down in Texas, we had one of the most evil, evil wrestlers of all time. Fritz von Erich. <laughs> oh, no. No. Fritz von Erich, of course, the most famous of gimmicks <laughs> around this time. He he ended up having a tag team partner, and they formed the tag team, and I shit you not, the Nazi brothers. Oh, my God. Uh, hold up. I'm sorry. Say that back to me again. Run that back. Fritz von Erich, one half of the tag team known as the Nazi brothers. Mm. Would you believe that he also had his original, he's the original name for the von Erich claw was known as the iron claw to just reinforce that gimmick. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. You know, ain't it crazy as, I... as well to know that the Von Eric family would end up becoming one of the below most beloved families in Texas wrestling? <laughs> I, I, that just feels crazy. That just feels crazy. <laughs> it's so silly, so silly, and I kid you not, there are. I, I can I just say. That there are worse examples of this. I mean, I, d I don't doubt the possibility of that, but like, I'm genuinely shocked. It's it's nuts. We had Baron von Raschke, of course, who would goose step his way to the ring and in the ring as well. Oh my he God. also had the claw as a finish. <laughs> in Stampede Wrestling, of, and I shit you not, Stampede Wrestling. They had a manager known as J.R. Foley who dressed up as Emperor Hirohito and Hitler on the sidelines. Okay. <laughs> Here's one thing I want to say about this. <laughs> how do you how do you get to that point? I, I like I... what position do you put yourself in? Because bear in mind in the context of the time we're talking about, wrestling did its absolute most to be considered as something that was exactly real. Mm-hmm. Mm. So these people were really going out here and dressing like that and being like, yes, this is okay. Yeah. It's not, it is genuinely nuts, isn't it? I am comfortable being seen in this. Yeah. Anything to draw hate, brother. Uh, yeah, gosh. Of course. All right. We get to a golden age in professional wrestling. It's the 1970s. It's the living legend Bruno Sammartino, well into his 2800 day Worldwide Wrestling Federation uh, title reign. And who should try to oppose him than the Russian bear, Ivan Kolov? One of the most infamous and one of the most iconic foreign hills and especially during the time where the where the uh where the um i guess the uh the tensions between uh the the soviet yeah. union and the u.s were prevalent <laughs> kind of ironic in the year of our lord 2022 not much has changed there has it don't do this to me don't do this to me <laughs> <laughs> would you be again isn't it funny that of all things uh nikita koloff is actually nelson simpson from canada 
and I know. shit you not, in some photos, kind of looks like a more hench bars rootin'. I'm willing to agree. <laughs> so, in one of the most infamous moments, Kolov actually was the one to dethrone San Martino from his title reign. His victory was so shocking at the, to the crowd at MSG that it was meant with abject silence rather than booze. Because it's a shock. 2,800 days. Bruno San Martino is the man. And to have Nikita Kolov... Like, this, this is too much. This is too much. <laughs> All of this is a lot to take in. My God, it's 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 a lot. And then, of course, yeah. as everyone knows, Kolov would end up spending the rest of his career in the NWA after that. Uh, after that, and would form a very, very known, well-known villainous group known as the Russians, which included Ivan Kolov and Crusher Khrushchev. Funny enough, Crusher Khrushchev, I believe, was would be the future demolition. Uh, I think it was Demolition Smash. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> of course, this brings us into the 80s. And of course, now we don't have... The, now the US doesn't have tensions with uh, <laughs> with, the, with the Soviet Union anymore. Yeah. They have tensions with Iran. And who should lead the, the, Who should lead that? The, the Iron Sheik. Sheiky baby. Quite, like... D foreign heel with a capital T. Yes, yes. Despite the fact that they gave him the title only as a transitional champion from Bob Backlund to Hulk Hogan, I will still maintain that the Iron Sheik was the per was a perfect heel, and I probably should have had a lot more of a rivalry with Hulk Hogan at that time. Yeah. Even Iron Sheik, I think, would still <laughs> would still well, would still course. say that the Jabroni. Fuck the Hulk Hogan. Uh... Frick the Hulk Hogan. So, I'll go over a couple of more things, gentlemen, because I want to make this very yeah. quickly before I go through it, of course. Also worth mentioning during this time, not uh, didn't have many appearances in the WWF, but we had Colonel De Beers, the man who actually ended up training Brian Zane from Wrestling With Regret. Huh. <laughs> so, uh, Colonel De Beers uh, was, a, was a white wrestler from South Africa, uh, would be yeah. incredibly racist and xenophobic towards black wrestlers, officials, and referees. <laughs> and and this was happening... Wait, this was in the US, right? Yes, and this, of course, was done in reference to the apartheid laws at the time. Yeah. Did you know that at one point they tried to give Colonel De Beers a manager called Mr. Black? There's no way. There's, I'm, oh. there's no way someone's that on the nose. And you, would you believe, Dan, and you're going to laugh and you'll say, of course it was, it was Herb Abrams in the UWF that tried to give him that manager. Oh, for the love of God. <laughs> the, the even worst part is, of course, it would be Herb Abrams, wouldn't it? It would be Herb Abrams. It would be Herb. <laughs> of course. This uh, industry is just so... It's just a mess. It's such a fucking mess. Of course... We get into the 90s, we get guys like Yokozuna, of course, the Japanese sumo uh, sumo heavyweight, who yeah. of course was from Samoa, <laughs> of Rodney, <laughs> with Mr. Fuji. We had the great Muta as well during his time in WCW. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about one of the great examples of of a of a foreign heel that is actually justified in being a foreign heel, and that's Bret Hart. 
I mean, literally, it's like you know, the thing. It's so funny thinking of Bret Hart as a as a heel, as a foreign heel specifically. Yeah, but it's the thing. It's the thing of America at the time because literally his thing was like Canada good, America bad, and then that was enough for Americans to be like, "Ah, oh, you hate us because you're not, you know, you're not from the U.S." I'm like, he's from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> the most iconic foreign heel, Andre the Giant. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's well, he's one of those ones you don't think about in that way, but then yeah. like, when you actually process the fact, you're like, actually, yes, he was treated that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, te- I mean, you know, his name is Andre, and, you know, <laughs> very, very French dude, kind of, sort of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had exotic Adrian Street, who of course was Welsh, mm-hmm. and, and uh, I guess more less less for being uh, being from Wales, and more because he was, um, well, uh, yeah, because he was exotic. Uh, William Regal, one of the most one of the most modern iconic foreign heels, yeah, but also like it's a it's a Hollywood trope that villains are British, exactly. <laughs> Which, to be fair, is a thing to unpack itself. Yeah, that has always fascinated me. <laughs> uh, Eddie Guerrero during his time in WCW, yeah, yeah. Uh, was a was was a big one. Of course, let's not let's give some love to the ladies and probably one of the most iconic foreign heels in the in in the mid to late nineties. Bull Nakano during her rivalry mm-hmm. with her uh, with Medusa slash Alundra Blaze. To be fair, though, to the, to, to the WWF at the time, she was a heel because she was actually a good wrestler. She was absolutely a good wrestler. <laughs> uh, let's talk about... Uh, well, actually, I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll get to Kai and Tai eventually, because I'm imagining yeah, we'll eventually. Get to Kai, we're going to talk about There's Kai. a lot of discussions we need to have about that. Kai and Tai. I'll tell you who we can talk about, though. The great Carly. Um, maybe him? Oh, God damn it. No, right, because, look, people are going to be here and say this, that I'm being dumb and I'm goofing. No, you're but, not, but still, but, but let's All right, let's talk about the great Carly just briefly, because, again, I've skipped ahead in the timeline. We've still got more to go back over before this. Yes. Yes. But literally, the thing about it that they were that they basically sold on was he was tall and he was Indian. Literally? Oh, God, when yep. you put it that way, it literally is just that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh man! That was what they—that they, was what they gave him. They're like, "You are tall and you are Indian, and you need a translator." That is it. <laughs> oh man! Talking of uh, of Indians, Tiger Ali Singh, mm-hmm. a a an Indian billionaire that wanted to become a wrestler and ended up managing the lowdown in the later part of his career. Oh, mm, let's talk about Muhammad Hassan. Poor Mark oh, what, you mean? Poor I was going to say, you mean Mark Mark Capani from, was it, Italy. Long Island? Italy. Italy. There New you York, go. A New, uh, 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 New York Italian-American. And, uh, old, uh, uh, and, and to old... be fair, again, there's a whole lot to process about everything that came with Muhammad, with Muhammad Hassan. Oh, man. Including, but not limited to, the part before it got even worse. Yes. Which I can't lie was probably about as self-critical as I'd ever seen wrestling try and go with mm-hmm. a foreign heel. Like in some aspects, before it got like I mean, 
is it any surprise that it all got a lot worse after a certain someone took over? Ah, uh, yes, yes. Because rem- <laughs> remember, his first thing was making Tajiri the sneaky Japanese guy that's actually a member of the Yakuza. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, the, with with Muhammad Hassan, and again, I'm, I really don't want to sound like I'm defending this gimmick because I'm really not. Yeah. Um, but like in a brief, in like that first kind of time when he arrived, Mm. I'm just going to say it was surprisingly self-aware for American media of the time. Yeah. But then it just like drastically got worse and worse until we reached the absolute nadir. And then WWE were like, I mean, it's even worse when you think, when you hear that, like, uh, because for people for people that don't know, the Muhammad Hassan character was completely shelved uh, because an addition of I believe SmackDown mm-hmm. uh, aired after seven seven on the day. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Oh god. And so, but the 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 segment was the one where they were attacking the Undertaker, wasn't it? Yes. And obviously, as you can imagine, running that the same day Mm. (laughs) uh, as that attack really left people in a horrified position. Yes. And rightfully saw that actually this thing that we're doing is just horrible. Mm. Also, they really punked out. Um, They were really kind of mean. To uh, <clears throat> to Mark Capani uh, during yeah. the road, if you've heard a lot of stories, um, ain't it? Ain't it no surprise, fucking Bradshaw. Uh, we come to expect it at this point. <laughs> uh, of course, we talk. If we're going to go back into more modern times, we got to talk about the one big foreign hill, the the, the evil group of evil evil foreigners, the Bullet Club. Hmm. <coughs> I mean, it's it's an aspect of this that I do want to talk about as we get later on. Mm. <coughs> but I really think it is worth talking about, um, you know, the Gaijin in reflection of what we understand as foreign heels. Yes, <laughs> Doctor Death. <laughs> we'll get. I, I think I think it's yeah. I think it's genuinely an interesting position, actually. Indeed, indeed, and of course, we, in terms of the more modern incarnations, we have Rusev, mm-hmm. uh, and we also <coughs> oh, forgive me for that. We also have uh, Jinder Mahal, mm-hmm. yeah, who we've yeah, gone into yeah. quite a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, we yeah. even had one episode dedicated to him. <laughs> All right, then, chaps. So, the foreign heel. Our first initial thoughts and kind of views on the foreign hill and its place in the history of wrestling. Oh man, this is so. I think. So I think for me, <clears throat> the for the foreign heel is one of those things that was. <laughs> how do how do I say this? <laughs> you know it. 
it's born out of the very pulp fiction aspect that wrestling holds. Yes. Mm. It is just like scraping the barrel, you know, what is the kind of, you know, I think it preys on something very human, mm. which is that person is different to me, so I am scared of them and I do not like them. Um, mm. and like obviously, I look. I think there's no denying that this comes out of the fucking carnival tradition. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm just saying that as like a, there's no real debate on this. It, it's 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 carnival tradition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I just think it's born out of that very kind of carnival um again i don't know how to say this without feeling like i'm being uh reductive Hmm. it's the same kind of thing about like i feel like this is a thing that we can all relate to as as british people Mm. you know those people who are there and they're like i don't like it when these people are coming over and doing this yes Mm -hmm. it's 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 playing on that kind of person yeah and of course like let's 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 just like obviously lay it all out yeah we all know that these exist and as we said at the start it exists out of uh that same kind of patriotistic xenophobia that's been around forever. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, I mean, for Americans, is incredibly pervasive to their society. Not that they necessarily acknowledge that fact. Yeah. I mean, it is to the base to the British as well. Because I mean, yeah. like again, yeah. we can't act like we were much better when we had world of sport kicking around with Kendo Nagasaki. Oh yeah, and, and, and yeah. Was a guy, yeah. who was a guy really who was really called Peter Thornton, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, had, something like that. And then, and the yeah. New Japan excursion, Sammy Lee, and figured yeah, Fuji Yamada. You know, you know. Actually, speaking of Kendo, like. Anyone who wants to read about like an actual, an actual like Asian person's, um, like thoughts and feelings on that, you should all you should read the book The Good Immigrant, where there is where there's an entire chapter on a man speaking on his thoughts and feelings on that growing up. Yeah, it's really good. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. Just- I mean, it like it's it's a thing that I um that I am very aware of, just because like aspects of my family are drawn from so many backgrounds mm. again probably the same for all of us in some capacity <clears throat> but it's just you know it's that always that that suspicion and fear of people who are different to us even though it's not really actually founded in anything yeah and so like i mean it, it, it you know in the worst way it's no surprise that wrestling played on that it's it's definitely playing to the lowest i guess you could say the lowest common denominator of yeah. of, of 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 what the what a heel could be it's like you the know, most and, common know, like again, the dumb version it, i mean as we get as we get further on this as we get further into it 
there's obviously that thing of, and again, we're going to have to have this debate about like what constitutes heat and stuff like that, mm. which is a big and very loaded conversation. <laughs> You're telling me. But yeah. it goes down to that thing of, of course, it's a very easy way to get a reaction because you're preying on something that's very kind of instinctive to people, mm-hmm. especially people who don't have that range of experience, which, for example, people in the South in the 60s would not have. Mm. <clears throat> and of course, like it comes, and like again, let's not pretend that anything in the South was any different for people who were there at the time. It was well established that you know, black wrestlers were almost always heels. Yeah. 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 In the, I majority, mean, in, in the majority of companies well in leading up to the seventies. Yeah. I mean, and, and up to the nineties, frankly. No, I'm saying, but like up until the seventies and then it kind of, it started changing in the North of the country. Mm-hmm. But like, again, it, it's, it's nowhere in that same aspect. And of course that comes with the same, litany of logistical issues and problems you have to deal with such as the fact of, that traditionally again in the north they may have been not necessarily been heels but they were still you know jobbers and lower ranked people mm-hmm. they weren't given the, they weren't given top the, the opportunity at the top mm. but mm. um you know it is that thing of You know, pe- these people who are watching these shows would not have that same range of experience, and so you're playing on that inherent fear, again, often stoked by what's happening at the time. Mm-hmm. And again, it, in a way, it, it very much tracks with kind of Hollywood, because you know how they've always said about like Hollywood villains follow who the enemy of the time is. Oh gosh, remember the eighties? <laughs> like I felt like nothing. The eighties were nothing more than just. Soviet, 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 Soviet. Yeah, so it's like your your villains went from kind of German to Russian to vaguely Arab. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You never got any specifications. They were just like anywhere from like <laughs> Are you anywhere from like Morocco all the way to like you know fucking Iran. Mm. Are you vaguely Middle Eastern? Is basically yeah, what we say in the sketch. Very vaguely Middle. So my thoughts on it are so okay, complex because you know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um. It always kind of like it's a funny thing because I can't like this is a real glass houses moment for me because I can't say that <laughs> I haven't like booed along with everyone else Mm. like it really comes down to like tone and tenor Mm -hmm. i think it's a very funny thing because this goes back like it's propaganda like it's straight up yeah Yeah, like it's straight up propaganda yeah and you know as Garfield once told us, we are not immune to propaganda. Thank you, Garfield. <laughs> Thank you, Garfield. But no, but in all seriousness, it's kind of um, it's always kind of interesting on like who a foreign heel is. It's a very interesting thing because it, it really does, ref- like you said, it does reflect the times that you're in, mm. and it can make looking back extraordinarily awkward. 
Like, yeah, like for like to put on a um, uh, disturbingly topical one, Rusev. Mm. I do wonder, like, how guys like Rusev, like, how their work will age, or at least that period will age, because they will. There are times where it can just age absolutely terribly. Yeah, and could be very like it does really get into a very weird and awkward thing that I don't know, like, I don't know if there's, like, a good way to do it. Because even if it's, like... This is is the thing that um, I kind of pick on with it, Mm. which is that, obviously, it's built in a... It's built in caricature. Yes. It's built in a very one-dimensional aspect. So I feel like that it's really tough to look at it and see that it stands up. Mm-hmm. Mm. Because, like, um, the mm. one I've had... Um, so one one of the things that I've been doing a, a little bit recently, it was for personal stuff, but also reading around this, is re- um, lots of reading from of stuff produced around the time of the Gulf War. Yeah. Mm. Which is obviously uh, um, early '90s, but you you get a very clear idea about how before and after mm-hmm. the perception shifted between the people who were there and the people who weren't, which was that like people who had been there and gone through it. You didn't necessarily reflect positively, hmm. but we're kind of like, you know, these you know, these are just, you know, they're people that they're dealing with this stuff that's happening to them. Yeah. To them, people back who are like, yeah, American exceptionalism, and of course, American exceptionalism is a root to all of this. <laughs> and if you want to get into the concept of American exceptionalism, well, then you've got to go back to about seventeen eighty something. <laughs> It goes back a long way, which is again for for many Americans. Do some reading on it and really try and unpack it. I was gonna say I don't have a library that big for me to have gone back all the way to there, Dan, for this episode. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's no way that we can. There's no way you can properly conceptualize all of it unless we spend like four hours on this. <laughs> Hi, welcome to part one. Where we'll break down the concept of manifest destiny. <laughs> oh. That, um, mm. But yeah, it, it because fundamentally it's built in an undeveloped or an un, an un or underdeveloped caricature of an aspect of a person's identity. It's difficult for it to stand up as a piece against time, mm. regardless of maybe how successful at the time it was. Because I can say, like, looking back on the fucking sergeant slaughter stuff yeah oh that uh, it's it's amazing to know that even at that time that failed terribly yeah it's like this really is just not you know it is not doing anything and it 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 cannot hold up because this can only exist within its time context. Yeah, which was only... And when it's badly regarded then. Yeah. Like, um... 
That's not that was nineteen ninety one, the year I was born that that was happening. That yeah. Shit. Uh, Do you know what I think? America was America was one year into the Gulf War yeah. at that time. You know what blew my mind um, when I first, you know, was uh, when I first was reading up on all of that, and I felt was a bit of a bit of a crass move on WWF's part. The original WrestleMania was their original WrestleMania was supposed to take place at the Los Angeles Olympic Stadium, <laughs> but then they moved it to a smaller a small arena because apparently because of threats and stuff of of what had been happening. No, they just couldn't draw the tickets, so they hid it behind they they thinly veiled lie yeah. uh, as silly as that. So they just say oh just say oh oh no, no the reason we moved it is because of um uh because of just security threats. Because you know oh, we gotta play up that Sergeant Slaughter's a defector. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh, of course. I remember now that Iron Sheik is now Colonel Mustafa, and they're managed by General Adnan. It's see, see, it's that. It's really that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It becomes a how far, how far? Because it's like how far do we take this? Because we've all seen how. Companies have taken it very far. Too oh, yeah. far. Too, yeah, yeah, too far. And it's... It's like, it's a weird thing where, like, you have to look at this and go, hmm, how far of this is just plain racism? See, but I think, again, that's another aspect of it. So much of it is just plain racism. Kai and yeah. Tai. That's a perfect example. Kai and Tai. Yeah, so should we try should we get into unpacking Kai and Tai? Yes, yes, please. <laughs> okay, so let's get into unpacking Kai and Tai. So first off, what is Kai and Tai? <laughs> Kai and Tai is a stable uh, of Japanese wrestlers that, as I'm fairly sure you can imagine, came from the <laughs> Kai and Tai Dojo. <laughs> The Kaiantai Dojo in Japan. Now, the most important thing with this is that most of these guys had, you know, time on their belts. So, like, as a, as a fact that people don't quite realize, uh, Funaki is a shooter. <laughs> it's it's a straight shooter. And if you don't know, spent time in the Japanese iteration of the UWF. <laughs> and I shit you not genuinely had people scared because he could and had shot on people before because they didn't take him seriously. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't remember who it's about, but there is a story about someone thinking that Funaki was taking the piss about his training and then put them in a heel hook and then they said that their heel was hurting for like the entire day afterwards. Mm. Um, also, also later is the story that apparently, apparently, um, Seamus was really annoyed at Yoshitatsu and then Yoshitatsu slapped the shit out of him. <laughs> but that's a separate story for a separate time. Yes. yes. Anyway, these were all well-versed wrestlers, including Tachim. Takamichinoku, <laughs> who was, uh, who had been at that time had been very much, uh, in the WWF, kind of lighting up the light heavyweight division. They really surrounded their light heavyweight division around Taka, and they really gave him, like, matches and time with Greg Sasuke and Sam, uh, Papi Chulo. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with me on this statement? 
but kind of, I guess we'll say 97. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Takamichi Noku, top five worker. Oh, absolutely. Even like I think even Mick Foley gone on the record and saying if they if they gave if they if the WWE championship had been based on work rate alone, Taka would have been champion from ninety seven to two thousand. Also a uh, uh, heavily underrated match. Uh Taka Michinoku versus Triple H. Yes. Ooh. It's it's heavily, heavily underrated. underrated. Um Taka is was was the best worker they had at that time. I'd but, say. Um anyway. So you have this group of Japanese wrestlers. If I remember right, who... it was Dick Togo. Yep. Terry Boy. Yep. Uh, Shofunaki. Yep. Taka. Mm-hmm. And they were managed by uh, Yamaguchi-san. Yes. Oh. So. I mean, let's not... Do we just go straight to the one? What? I, what, what, what Yamaguchi-san saying... I choppy choppy your pee pee. Yeah, choppy choppy your pee pee. And they. Or do we just, or do we just go through some of the other stuff beforehand? (laughs) I mean, because if if you want to know, like, Ridden, the the context of I choppy choppy your pee pee, Yamaguchi apparently Val Venus had slept with Yamaguchi son's wife, and then decided, (laughs) and because that brought great disrespect to 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 his family. Uh, as a showing of what they were going to do to Valvinus, took a salami, took a katana, chopped the salami, and Yamaguchi said, "I choppy choppy your pee pee." Now, just in the con, just in the matter of what we've said there, how many racial stereotypes are there? Oh, too many. yeah, too many. Way, way too many. I. <clears throat> uh. I don't even know what to say. And like, it is just such aggressive disrespect to them. Mm -hmm. But then it only got worse once it was Tucker and Funaki. Yeah, it got worse, didn't it? Because it got infinitely worse. Because because they are Japanese, and because apparently they can't trust them to speak English in any way, shape, or form. Wouldn't it be great to make them cut promos, but we dub them in that really cliched 70s Japanese English dub film voice? Guess whose idea that was? There are many people whose idea that could be. Fucking Bruce Pritchard. God damn it. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So, it's never been confirmed whether it's true or not, and I believe I have told you two about this. But the voices of Taka and Funaki during this time, especially when you give in, take into account that they weren't, they originally started as heels, but then end up becoming baby faces, which glad, and mostly because of that came from Taka's in-ring work, which again, yeah. you can't not f- cheer for Taka's in-ring work. Taka was voiced by Shane McMahon. Okay... And Funaki was voiced by The Undertaker. Okay. <laughs> and it, it's... I, I just never understood this thing of, like... We can't trust them to speak English. Yeah, just... Uh, You're I'll the t- company. I'll tell you this much, especially for Japanese um, talent... 
That hasn't changed. No, it hasn't changed. No, it hasn't changed at all. Asuka and Shinsuke Nakamura are the prime examples of that. I don't understand what is so difficult about having an on-screen translator. Mm. Pre-record the segment. Do subtitles. Literally, AEW... I mean, again, I'm not going to pretend AEW are perfect in this. Mm. AEW... Alex Abrahantes. Yes. He's just a... F- Literally, his thing is, okay, yeah, he does he does normal manager stuff, but he just fucking translates what Penta is saying. Mm-hmm. That's literally it. <laughs> All he needs to do. And you know what? They're like, oh, they get in the way, though. Oh, they, they cause, they cause uh, problems for people watching. Literally, just fucking Alex Abrahantis. Penta says, throw some sauce in it. Make sure people understand it's heel work. Mm-hmm. And look, you're good. You've got me remembering a promo that's in Spanish, and I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> it's such a simple. Uh, it's such a simple thing of accessibility. <sighs> and for anyone that's gonna try and throw the, it was a different time stuff. This was the late 90s to the early 2000s. <laughs> I think everybody's views on, on Japan were very, very... Well, especially in the UK, was a lot more different than it was, uh, well, I'd say probably even 10 years ago at that point. I mean, like, obviously, like, there's the, Ameri- there's the American stuff and, you know, the people who will still be, like, but Pearl Harbor and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. again, like... We're talking like 1998 at this point, yeah. not 1948. <laughs> and obviously, like for most other people around the world, we were looking at this going like, yeah, that's wrong. Mm. What, what the hell is this? And again, I'm not trying to absolve the UK out of any of this. Again, we are still yeah, yeah. just oh, as yeah. bad no, in many, yeah. many oh, ways. Oh, yeah, let, let, let us be clear. We talk about America because America has the most yes. like widespread wrestling. Yeah. Let's be clear on that. The UK... <laughs> the, I, the UK I'm, is not free from any of this. Yeah, I... Uh, we would probably do one episode on the UK's version of this, but I would die from alcohol poisoning. Yes. So, <laughs> oh gosh. But yeah, it it's just it's just so annoying to know that these people who hold this place basically, I mean, again, as as we've always said, generally work to uphold the whiteness of the space. Mm. Hey, look, I, I'll, and, I'll... and again, and again, we're not going to pretend like wrestling isn't a historically white industry because it is. <laughs> yeah, I'd say I'd tell you this much though, and and props to both Tucker and Funaki. Never let it get to them, and they certainly carved paths for the for the, for the pair of them carved their own path. Yeah. Um, and well, Tucker's. I, it still blows my mind that Tucker's still wrestling to this day. Yeah, but I just assume he's like fueled by rage. Yes, <laughs> especially when the beginning of his song is literally him saying "fuck you." <laughs> oh, there was it that he's working with. Uh, who is he working with now? I uh, assume just Michinoku Pro. Uh, are you still yeah. part of Suzuki Goon? 
Oh, okay, yeah. Because <laughs> he makes like occasional appearances in New Japan as well. Indeed. Indeed. All right. I guess with with all of this, I mean, more the the more the one that keeps cropping into my mind in terms of a person who they tried to make it make him a foreign hill despite the fact that he is universally beloved uh by a lot of people is Mr. Farley. Mm. <clears throat> okay. So <sighs> there's a lot to say about Mustafa Ali. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What a talented dude for a start. I mean, yeah, what an incredible talent dude. But basically, I think ever since he did that one promo where he said, you cheer for them and you don't cheer for me because my name is Mustafa mm-hmm. and you can't be bothered to learn to say it right, it's kind of just like everything summed up. <laughs> yeah. And it sucks. It does. They doubled down that they had to that they thought they had to double down on that. And I mean, I think one big thing of it is that obviously, I think it's fairly obvious that the foreign heel is incompatible with modern attitudes. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I'd like to believe that no one wants to see it. Of course, there are people out there who do the whole um I want my old school wrestling back. <clears throat> and, you know, who probably would be fine, mm. you know, seeing uh, a racial or ethnic <laughs> caricature walk out to the ring. Mm. Ain't it crazy to know that some of the most, I guess you could say, some of the most iconic foreign hills are white people? And then when you tell when you tell wrestling, when you tell certain wrestling fans, oh yeah, by the way, you see Edge and Chris Jericho over there. Yeah, they're foreign hills. It's weird, isn't it? <laughs> well, because this is the thing about the Bret Hart one. Because people don't conceptualize it in that way. Yeah. I mean, again, yeah. wrestling's historic link to being controlled by whiteness is like... <laughs> mm-hmm. There's not really enough I can say about it, and there's a lot more that many other commentators can say because I'm white. <laughs> <laughs> and there are much many other people who are in this space who are much more justified than me talking about it. Oh, shit, I just realised I am whiter than white. <laughs> um, but, like, when you when you look at the position that they put him in mm-hmm. you can't say he was anything but a foreign heel the 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 reason he b- was a heel to them was because he was canadian yeah <laughs> like it's... that the the entire essence of the character was he's canadian not american yeah and which uh... completely fulfills the thing of being a foreign heel <laughs> Uh, universally beloved in the Europe and uh, and uh, and Canada, absolutely hated in the US. <laughs> a weird time uh, for 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 anyone or any wrestler because it's like even like by all the for all intents and purposes, even for a heel, Bret Hart was still one of the most popular and biggest merch sellers as well at that time. Yeah, <laughs> which is unthinkable. And unheard of in wrestling. <laughs> That's like saying Great Carly is the greatest merch seller in the t- in the twenty first century. Maybe Punjabi Playboy shirt. 
I mean, for his contributions to WWE in India, possibly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, but no, because it, it, it is an interesting position, and then obviously there's, there's the intersection it has with, well, historically, the intersection it has with race, because, um, and I'm thinking along the veins of, like, the head shrinkers, Kamala. I guess, actually, though, in modern terms, the great Kali. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is that foreign heels are often depicted as being big, strong, physically imposing, but not smart. Savages, mm. basically, is the word I think yeah. most commentators at that time would have used. Yeah. Uh, Wild Samoans. Yeah. It's a great... Oh, yeah. This is perfect. I, I mean... That. I mean, one of my one of my favorite like big powerhouse wrestlers is a foreign heel, Umaga. Yeah, Haku's one of my personal favorites as well. But then again, we don't mess with Haku because we know because his reputation precedes himself. Yeah, <laughs> no, but like, but then like you actually process that fact. Mm-hmm. It was always about they're big, they're strong. They're either crazy or they're dumb. They are hulking brutes who are, again, a caricature to the good doing and proper wrestling American face. Also, Hulk Hogan, then, basically, at that golden age, and nothing more than Hulk Hogan. <laughs> well, no, but, like, again, like, when you take when you take the moment to, like, properly process it, Mm. I mean, again, I I don't feel like I'm necessarily positioned to say about Hogan versus Sheik, mm. just because I I haven't seen much of it. <laughs> I don't really know how like much how like the match it, the matches worked or anything like that. Oh, they only had a f- uh, I had a number of matches. Of yeah. course, the WWF title match was three minutes in and out. Yeah, <laughs> and as I said. Sheik was nothing more than a transitional champion because they uh because um Backland was very strong in his I don't want to turn heel for several years I've been, you know, a, yeah. a role model for kids. Um so with that, yeah. And then I mean I mean again, then I guess as you move on I don't know, the more the more I think about it, the more I think it tracks. Yeah. Because then I'm just thinking about, like, you know, moving to moving to more modern stuff. I would say Rusev kind of fits the bill. Maybe not on like the crazy or dumb aspect, but John you know, physic- <laughs> yeah, physically, physically, physically imposing. Yeah. Um. You know, I guess Mustafa Ali wouldn't count on that, but then I guess you could say that the smaller subject subsection of the, you know, the conniving, scheming foreign heel who wants to get one over on on the good American babyface or the good British babyface. Mm. I mean, mm. again, that's normally typically reserved for British wrestlers, but it, it doesn't mean that hasn't happened in other cases. A question that always, just thinking of that, the question that always uh, that's coming to my mind now is, um, Buddy Murphy was the exact same kind of heel as Mustafa Ali was, so why wasn't he just as booed? 
or booked just as much as Mustafa Ali was. Uh, is it because he was white? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I think it's one of those things that, while we can't necessarily point to it as an obvious reason, mm. we can look at it and say, this is an aspect that can be related. Yeah. I, uh, it's, I, I, it's, worth, it's worth the consideration. I would guess I would say the thing with... The thing with Buddy Murphy is that the thing that has made him... They've always pointed to the thing that the thing that makes him stand out is the way he acts in the ring. Yeah. There isn't that aspect, there isn't that pushed aspect of otherness to him. Mm. Which to be fair is probably related to his whiteness, but <laughs> but um, you know, I don't I don't think it has necessarily influenced mm. that same that same way, even though technically he could constant, he could fit the constitution of being a foreign hill because he is Australian. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's just it's strange that that was never the case. I mean, like again, like like a like a lot of things that fit around in around this discussion. <laughs> it's all kind. It is a it is a like an intersection of various different points. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, because like then one aspect you could look at that isn't necessarily foreign heel in the true sense Mm -hmm. but I would say fits under the same continuum as the 90s proliferation of gangster gimmicks Mm. Mm -hmm. which would be the preserve of black Americans that would be working them in promotions that typically went to the south. Yep. 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 The gangsters are the prime example of that. So you have a stereotypical role filled by black wrestlers positioned in a physical space next to uh, an you know an audience that would have no interaction or knowledge of that world. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the gangsters are the main one. Honestly, I was thinking crime time. I was thinking crime time as well. Where I don't think they would fit into the true, you know, they aren't technically foreign heels because they're American, mm. but they're foreign and they're foreign in concept that they represent an aspect of America that the, I'm going to say the large section of wrestling fans. Mm hmm. The section of white American wrestling fans would not have actually interacted with. Mm. I've that 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 makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you know, it's the same. It's the same thing as like, you know, all the all the nineties like PTC stuff and the parental advisory and oh, the the right to censor came from that, and and things like that, and then you know the concern about like the Wu-Tang Clan's lyrics and stuff. So silly. You know, it, it's it's foreign in the concept of unknown to the world or the space that it inhabits. Because mm. again, as we said, and I'm repeating myself here, wrestling is a historically white industry. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, definitely, I definitely think there's... Hmm. 
there, there's a real space to have like a, a quite a specific debate on this. <laughs> mm. Mm. You know what was a really weird, a very strange uh, switch around of this concept? Something that was just brought into my mind. I was like, they really did try to try and flip that concept. Remember the rivalry between Jack Swagger and Alberto Del Rio? Yeah. Was when... wait, was this was this when Jack Swagger was like Oh, was a Tea Party doing... was a Tea Party extremist, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, so when he used to walk out with the libertarian flag. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. I was making sure it was that I couldn't remember which exact time it was. It's a very that was a very, very strange time you know yeah it was but you know what it's funny i remember it like everyone like they bought worked. into it, it they yeah. people did buy into it which is just yeah, like, the people did boo until until which they didn't is because, kind of yeah. which miffs me off that the wwe didn't in a sense maybe double down on that because it's like immediately when that they had that blow off match at mania they kind of immediately switched Del Rio back into being a heel and Swagger into being a face. Mm. Well, Swagger had the unamer- well, sorry, had the Americans tag team with Cesaro, so they're kind of tweeners in a sense. Yeah. Was- I mean, again, strictly when he first debuted, Cesaro was a foreign heel. Uh-huh. Chaps. Those, we- those, mm. those dangerous Swiss. Those dangerous Swiss. <laughs> and their and their ungodly strength of moving mountains. No, yeah. chaps. Here's a question I want to ask you two. In today's modern landscape, and talking about all of this, are you surprised? Because I certainly was, and this was something I was genuinely worried with when they had um, signed him and brought him in. Are you surprised that they've still main, uh, remained and have allowed? Ilya Dragunov to be a 100% pure natural baby face. Okay. <clears throat> there is an aspect to it which I very much appreciate the fact of, but it, it comes from the specific place of because he has existed within the European sphere, mm-hmm. mm. I you know, obviously there is again a whole bunch of stuff relating to Russia that needs to be properly conceptualized. Yes. <laughs> yes. Especially today. In today's day. Especially, especially, especially today time, and especially with his especially yeah. with his origins in WXW in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um but I think because he's primarily existed in this space. Mm. There hasn't been the same, you know, influence towards making him a heel. Yeah. Mm. I think that's why crowds have been so receptive. And when he's gone to America, crowds have been very receptive and actually kind of been very... Uh, they've they've slowly built up to him. Because I remember the very first Worlds Collide he was in, in that match against Finn Balor, there was silence. And I mean silence, because yeah. people weren't too sure whether to cheer or boo him. Mm. But the fact that he's warmed up to the American crowd, much to the point, especially with his two matches against uh, Volta, I mm. think people have gone, all right, this guy's good. And he's a baby yeah, face. I... We're going to cheer for him. Yeah, I think, obviously, p- part of it comes down to the style and the booking. Mm. 
Mm. Mm. Um, you know, Ilya is fantastic at the, the my opponent is much bigger and stronger than me, except I just refuse to die. Oh, yeah. He's, um, he's aspect he's, of wrestling. He's really good at selling as well. That uh, uh, selling in his promo work about this is the biggest challenge of my not just of my career but my life, and I need to kind of I need to get I I need this like it's like the whole WrestleMania seventeen of like Austin go I need to be on a personal level I need to beat you rock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, <clears throat> uh, I just don't think that. Mo, mo, you know, most of the spaces he's existed in haven't really had that push towards, you know, having a foreign heel. I want to believe the concept has mostly died in the UK, but I know that's not true. Yeah, you know, just yeah. based, just 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 based on my occasional observations of a couple independent cards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I, yeah, I'd be, I would have been astounded if it had died in the UK. No, it, it hasn't died. I'm not going to pretend it ever has. Like, I, like I said, you see, you see a couple shindy posters, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, it's still alive and well. I feel for, I feel for even like a. It's, it's strange that even that kind of comes down to. There are times when Robbie Brookside, when he came into London for indies, was booed purely because he was from Liverpool. Welcome to the UK. <laughs> Welcome to the UK. I mean, to be to be honest, it's one it's one thing I said, but like, I I wouldn't be surprised if there was something hanging around in Progress's library. Yeah, in the worst way. Mm-hmm. I don't. Um, but I don't have enough time to go. I mean, to be fair, we can look at the thing they used to have as a world title, but it's regal, apparently. Huh. <laughs> But um, like you know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna move past that. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I just don't I don't know whether or not the spaces he's been in have ever really allowed that. I mean, WX W I almost feel like definitely isn't. No. <laughs> <clears throat> um, and you know, progress, and I guess it's to the same extent NXT UK mm-hmm. um have never really been that much towards the idea of a foreign heel i mean to be fair nxt uk has set a couple firsts in having the how does it feel knowing that the first actually french wrestler was signed by wwe in 2020 nuts isn't it oh i'm sorry first first french female was signed in 2020 yeah i was like that's out that's out of its mind that's out of its mind yeah because obviously andre exists yes yes Yes, and you had La Resistance, of course. Yeah, French Canadian, uh, the greatest villains of all time. The damn um, Quebecers. <laughs> but then, and then again, though, we, we, we say that, and then obviously Ilya Dragunov is the first actually Russian WWE wrestler. And one of the very first that was actually WWE born champions. That was actually born in Russia. <laughs> Ain't that just a concept so, that makes your mind go cracking hard? <laughs> so when you actually conceptualise that fact, it feels weird. Oh, yeah. Um, but I mean, like, obviously the thing is, I, I want to believe that in almost every case, the foreign heel as an idea 
is like functionally dead in wrestling right now. Of course, it isn't. Apollo Crews exists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that again, that was only last year to now. Yeah. Um. And I don't want. I don't. Again, I don't want people confusing this with the thing of like. Also, oh, what if a wrestler uh, from another country comes and they get booed? They're a foreign heel. No. Yeah. Like, of course, there's the thing of, oh, this is some like say you're like with a company and then they're like, hey, we're having someone come over from like, I don't know. <clears throat> I'm just thinking of like the the deathmatch side of things where they have like the things where it's like, oh, this person from BJW is coming. Hmm. I'm like, I'm not booing him because he's Japanese. <laughs> I'm booing him because there's a person from the company I like in the match and he's his opponent. Is a very different concept to them being like, "Hey, here's this new wrestler. He's Japanese. We don't like him." Yeah, yeah. Just that. That's it. That's the thing. To, I think to fans. I think to, I think fans, uh, especially, are on the very much on on the um, on the thought process of yeah. I think foreign hills. The the concept of a foreign hill is is dead. It absolutely is. Uh, for bookers and and. and and promoters I think we got a way to go for them to kind of get on the same wavelength as fans well I mean obviously it's that thing of the people who the people who are in charge of the industry in many cases are not updated to modern attitudes no, no what was it what was it that Vince said am I 70 years old yes am I out of touch no <laughs> just remember the man doesn't watch TV Terrifying, terrifying <laughs> idea. Uh, that actually is quite a good anecdote to end on. Don't you agree, Chad? Yeah, yeah, I think that's it, really. In the, in the end, in conclusion, Vince is always out of time. <laughs> Man, isn't it crazy that old white men don't understand the modern world? <laughs> uh, try telling that to Congress. Anyway... <laughs> Try telling that to any government around the world. That is fucking oh. true. Try telling that to the Houses of Parliament. Anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> that is that is wrapping up quite uh, a quite an interesting episode. A really nice discussion on the foreign hills. I quite in, like. I quite enjoyed going down and just talking about it. Just kind of riffing on that, chaps. So I, don't I know think it might. You. I think it might be cool, like sometime in the future, to get like a couple other people in to talk about it. Oh, absolutely! I would be down for that for sure, for sure. That would be a cool idea. Have to find some people if you're interested. Get in touch with us at Sweet mm. Chinwag on Twitter yeah. and on Instagram. <laughs> I think it'd be. I think it would be really cool to have like an earnest discussion with lots of people from around the wrestling industry about it. Absolutely, yeah. I would be down for that for sure. That is an open invitation to everybody. By the way, yeah. um, right next episode, chaps. Oh boy, it's a profile. It's a retrospective, but not just on a single wrestler. No. Did you know that evolution is a mystery, folks? Oh dear God, are we doing it? We are really <laughs> doing it. It's the it's the evolution retrospective, the group that Triple H really wanted the Four Horsemen to be. It is indeed a mystery. Remember, indeed. remember that this is the time that we had the game. And the dirtiest player in the game. We did. That was a thing. <laughs> oh, boy. 
Okay, so we are going to be talking about the start, the inception. Of course, we talked a little bit about it during our very first episode, The Reign of Terror. All the way back, nearly two years, chaps. Ain't it crazy? That is... Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> it always comes back around. Man, we're talking about their influence on, on, on WWE and their, and their subsequent returns here and there in the future as well. But we've got all of that to look forward to next week. Until then, I have been Sam. This has been Dan and Reardon. And you've been listening to the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. We will see you, as ever, on the next one. Fucking bullshit! You had to do it, didn't you? You just you were Back holding it in. Hulk Hogan. You both were just holding it in this entire time. <laughs>